Good morning, Fellowship of the Rockies Church. How are you? Hope you're doing well. My name is Eli Finley, and I'm the youth pastor here at the church. And I've been asked to preach this weekend. Pastor Charlie just arrived back home this last Friday evening from Israel. And so in order for him to get some rest and get some relaxation, I am filling the pulpit for him this weekend. And of course, I jumped at the opportunity for that because I love spending some quality time with my brothers and my sisters of the church. So the first time I preached was just a few weeks ago uh, at the end of 2019, and I, I introduced something to you guys that I'd like to continue, and it's called a callback. And so what this does for me, it helps me know that number one, you're awake, number two, that you're with me, and number three, that we're enjoying the sermon this morning. So what I say is, if you're with me, say I am, and then you answer back, I am. So if you're with me, say I am. I am. There we go. Y'all sound great this morning. So like I said just a moment ago, my name is Eli, that is short for Elijah, and my full name is Elijah David Finley. And so my parents were very intentional when they named me. They decided who are the two most famous Old Testament characters that we can think of. Let's put those two together, and let's set that bar for our middle son. That's what they decided to do. And so that's not exactly how it went. My mom has a much different story for that. But I got to be there when they, when they named my younger brother and my younger sister, and they were so intentional with that. And really through that process, I learned that names are not just a sound we make to get each other's attention. They are so much deeper than that. In the Jewish culture in, in Israel, it, they are so intentional with the, name, with the way they name their children, and they've been this way for many, many years. You see, they believe that names, not only, not only are, do they just help us to distinguish between people, but they can even define people. They believe that names are even prophetic to an extent that people truly live up to what they're named. They're the first words spoken over the next generation. And so today we're going to look at the life of Caleb. And the name Caleb or Kalev in the Hebrew is a word meaning wholehearted. And Caleb's story is a beautiful story of believing the promises of God and displaying a wholehearted faith. He truly does live up to the name that he was given. He has the kind of faith that sets him apart in Scripture. And so the first verse that I'd like to read for you this morning is Numbers 14, 24. You don't need to turn there. I'm just going to read it for you real quick. It says this, But my servant Caleb, this is God speaking, but my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. He has remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. So it's right here. Caleb has a different attitude than the rest of the people around him, and his faith reflects that. And so this weekend, we are simply going to walk through three principles of how we can also have a wholehearted faith. If you're with me, say, I am. So you can mark your Bibles at Joshua chapter 14. That's where we're going to be next. But in order to get there, we need to lay the groundwork. We need to see the background of what happened for Caleb to develop into the man that he was uh, with his kind of faith at the time that he was living. So Caleb's story begins uh, with the exodus from Egypt. He's a part of the generation that experienced the first Passover and all these crazy things that God asked for them to do with the food and, and eating with their belts on and their sandals on and all these things, you know, to be prepared to leave. Caleb got to be a part of these things. He saw these things happen. And so that's where his story begins. He's with the Israelites as they leave Egypt. They see all these miraculous things that God does. And they, they wander around in the wilderness for just a few months before they come to the edge of a land called Canaan, which is a land described as one flowing with milk and honey. It is the promised land or it's known more widely as the promised land. And so they get to the edge of, of this place, and Moses decides that he's going to send in 12 spies 
uh, one from each of the tribes of Israel. Caleb's going to go from the tribe of Judah, but he decides to send in these spies because he knows that there's already people living here, there's already towns here, there's already cities here. So he wants to scout it out and make a plan for how Israel is going to get in there, right? And so these 12 spies are sent out, and they're gone for 40 days, and then they come back to report their findings to Moses. And so many of them, they all confirm how amazing the land is. It's perfect for us. It's just right. You could even say it's promised. This, is, this land is for us. But 10 of those spies also say there are huge people living here. There are big walled cities, and we can't handle the heat. We can't make it in here. If we go in there, we will surely die, right? And then the other two spies, one being Caleb and the other being Joshua, the future leader of Israel, they come back to Moses and they say, God has already promised us this land. If he is with us, nothing can stand against us. We should go into this land and take it. And so they were the only ones who were truly believing in what God's promise was for them. Caleb's wholehearted faith is already on display because he's believing the promise of God even when he sees something different, when his sight is telling him something different. And it's, it's, it goes to show that it's not enough to just know the promises of God. All of the spies who went into the land, they knew what God's promise was. Moses, he knew what God's promise was. He knew this land was for them. But the difference was that Caleb and Joshua were willing to step out in faith and risk it all. They know the risks of being a nomadic nation of a few million going up against these enemies with huge walls and huge huge cities, but they believe the promise of God and that it was going to bring them to victory. But see, they wouldn't have the opportunity to put their faith to the test just yet because Israel and Moses decide to listen to the ten spies who frightened them and they turn around from the entrance to the promised land. You see, it's during all this uh, confusion and, and, and this backsliding that they've let their fear define their next decision. And during this, God becomes angry. He becomes frustrated with the Israelites, and he decides that he's going to wipe them out. And so Moses intercedes for them, and he has this conversation with God and pleads for their lives. And God says, you know what? Okay, I will honor your decision to not go into the promised land. But God then decrees that they will walk around in the wilderness for 40 years years until the faithless generation has died. Caleb learns early that there is a cost in life to not trusting the Lord. There's a cost to that. And all of this really goes to show that our faithfulness today does not guarantee our faithfulness tomorrow. It will always be a choice to choose God. It will always be a daily choice to choose him over other things we find security in, to choose him over what's in our bank account to choose him over the relationships we have in our lives, to choose him over any other mountain that we put our security in. It will always be a daily choice to go that direction. But see, at this point, the Israelites, they've seen God move. They've seen him perform miracle after miracle. They watched the waters of the Red Sea split, dry ground up here for them to walk across, and then the same waves sweep back down over their enemies. They watched this happen. They believed God to deliver them from the greatest world power of their time, which was Egypt. They believed him for that, but not to lead them into the land that he's already promised them, which seems like a small next step, doesn't it, in comparison to what he's just done for them. You see, as a general rule, if I see someone split a sea, I will believe that they've given me me the land that he's already promised the general rule. They've seen these amazing, amazing things, and it's easy to look back at them and say, you know, what, what faithlessness they have. 
how could they not take the next small step in what God's calling them to do? But of course, hindsight is twenty twenty, and we always see the way other people act, and we say we wouldn't do that, but then we act the same way now because we trust God to give us salvation. One of the singular, most impossible things for us to ever attain ourselves. We trust him for that, but we don't trust him to work in our damaged relationships. We don't trust him to take care of debt in our lives, debt to people, debt to institutions, any of it. We believe God for big things, and then we don't allow him into the small moments for us, the problems that seem smaller in the grand scheme of things. But trusting God is an everyday choice and an every moment choice. Caleb knew he was going to have to choose God every single day for 40 years in the wilderness. So the Israelites, they, they turn away from the land of milk and honey. They turn around and head back into the wilderness. And for 40 years, they're wandering around, not exactly aimlessly, but if you look at the map of the way they walked, it seems pretty aimless. But then, then after all of this, for 40 years, they finally come back to the entrance of Canaan. And now Joshua and Caleb, they're the only ones left from the old generation. They're the only ones, but because of their faith, God's going to allow them to go into the promised land, to lead the people into the promised land. And at this point, Caleb is 85 years old. He's got some miles on him. He's been around Mount Sinai a few times. He's seen some things. But even now, he is trusting in the promise of God. In other words, he never retired from the Christian life. He hasn't retired from a wholehearted faith. He never gave up on that. And if we're going to have a wholehearted faith like this, then number one, we need to believe in God's word. That's all Caleb had in the wilderness. That's all he had to stand on was God's word. And so now we've made it to Joshua 14, and this is when uh, the Israelites have entered into the promised land. They had about five years of war with the Canaanites in, in this area, and then they've kind of had a couple of their first battles and first victories, and they begin to divide out the land as inheritance amongst all the tribes. And so that's where we pick up in verse 4 of chapter 14 in Joshua. It says this, The descendants of Joseph had become two separate tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. And the Levites were given no land at all, only towns to live in with surrounding pasture lands for their livestock and all their possessions. So the land was distributed in strict accordance with the Lord's commands to Moses. A delegation from the tribe of Judah, led by Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, came to Joshua at Gilgal. Caleb said to Joshua, Remember what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, about you and me when we were at Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. I returned and gave an honest report, but my brothers who went with me frightened the people from entering the promised land. For my part, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. So that day Moses solemnly promised me, the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant of land and that of your descendants forever because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. Now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise, even while Israel wandered in the wilderness. Today, I am 85 years old. And this is the moment that Caleb has waited for, his land and inheritance from the Lord. If you're with me, say I am. It's taken 45 years, 45 years of patience, of waiting on God, and now this promise is coming to fruition. It took a brand new beginning, an entirely new generation. But the promise is being fulfilled because God keeps his word. He keeps his promises. 
not always on our timetable, but always in accordance with his and his plan. And you see, we'd be lying if we said sometimes we aren't frustrated with God's timing in our lives. And we know and fully admit that his timing is perfect. We just sang a song about it, about his way is the right way. His timing is perfect. We know that. But that doesn't make it easier. And we know that surrendering to his timing, to his plan, means we may have to wait. It means we may have to be patient. And in Caleb's case, the same rules apply even if you're trying to serve him. Even if you're trying to step out in faith, God may still ask you to wait. And this may have been the most confusing thing for me when I was first trying to explore what my calling to ministry was. The first time I ever admitted out loud to somebody that I thought I might be called to ministry, I was 17 years old, and we were at summer camp, and I was with my youth pastor, and I was excited. I had about this much energy and this much knowledge of what God was actually calling me to do. I was excited. I was ready to go home on Monday and punch Satan in the face because I was ready to take on what the world had for me, and I knew that God was calling me to something bigger and better than what I was doing. And then four years passed and nothing happened. You see, I thought God was calling me up to the big leagues. And then he benched me. I thought I was starting early. I thought he was truly calling me up to to go to a church and serve his career. And I thought that was a big win in his book. Because why would he not want me to work for a church? Why would he not want me to enter into the ministry? That seems like an easy win. It's logical. It makes sense. But just a few months later, after I had had this conversation with my youth pastor and and was really feeling on fire for the Lord, God isolated me. So, So it was just a few months later, I was in the middle of my senior year of high school, and my dad was called back to pastor a church in the state that Charlie's not allowed to talk about, Texas. So my family, we all returned back to Texas. We all went back, which is actually the town that I grew up in until I was about nine years old before we moved to Pueblo. So I was familiar with this place, but, but he isolated me. God took me out of all the things that I was planning, all the desires I had, all the plans that I had to serve him in a new and in a fresh way. It was a good plan. In fact, I think it was a great plan. The problem was that it wasn't God's. It wasn't his plan. He had a different path for me. And there was even a point in time there, about a year after I had moved back to Texas, that I called a youth pastor here in town and I said, let me be your intern. I will work for free. I will scrub toilets. I don't care what I have to do. Let me work for a church that's moving. Let me get out of the place that I am. Take me out of isolation. And the answer was still no. Number one, I could not believe that a youth pastor gave up free work because in my line of work, we take free work. I take cheap labor all the time. I'm okay with that. I couldn't believe he said no to this. But in hindsight, it was God. It was God saying no because he was preparing me and and planning things for me. He was speaking to me and training me to listen in ways that I would not have been listening to him if I was pursuing my own plan. There were so many times that I wanted to get a word of encouragement about what I thought the right plan was for me from everyone else, from my family, my friends, my coworkers. I went to all of them looking for a word that confirmed the direction God had for me so when I shared this with God, I wouldn't be the only one saying it. But that's not what he was calling me to do. All God was calling me to do was to have patience and to wait 
to stand on his promises, to be faithful in the things he was calling me towards, not the plan that I envisioned for myself. Caleb, he understood this. He got this. He knew it wasn't about him. He knew his faith in God had to weigh more than his desire to give a land down from generation to generation, a safe place that he could give to his kids. He knew his faith had to weigh more than that. Caleb learned how to stand on the promise of God and then walk in the direction that promise was leading him. And for us, we have to believe in God's word. It has to be what holds weight in our lives and also has to be what guides us. Psalms 119.105 famously says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word not only shows us where to stand, the lamp to our feet, but it shows us where to go, the light to our path. And our part is trusting that path whether we can see two feet ahead or 200 feet ahead. It's trusting him the same whether we can see two minutes ahead what he has for us or 20 years what he's calling us to do. Our faith can't change because his promises don't change. They don't fade. He doesn't change. And so our faith has to remain the same also. And there are two dimensions of the faith. One is hearing and understanding the promise of God and two is the willingness the willingness to do what he's calling, to step out. And it's the change of action that's so important. Let me explain it to you like this. I fully believe and understand that if I went to the gym and used the things, whatever they're called, in the gym, I would be healthier. In fact, I believe this so much that I have two gym memberships right now, and I can't figure out how to cancel the first one. I can't figure it out. Some online canceling thing, I can't figure out how to do it. I believe it that much. Hasn't changed my actions yet. I'm going to be honest, no. I sit on the couch just as much as I did before I got the first gym membership. Both of my memberships are purposeless. They're purposeless because I haven't allowed them to change me. And so a faith that believes and knows the promise of God but has not allowed it to shape it is empty. It's purposeless. A gym membership kind of faith, well, my kind of gym membership kind of faith has serious implications for what our life will look like. See, for Caleb, if he had refused the journey, he would have missed out on the miracle. He would have missed out on the blessing that God had for him if he hadn't been committed to the journey God was calling him on. Faith is standing on God's promise and moving in his direction. Faith is responding in obedience to God's promise. Is it possible that there's a place in life that you need to go to experience God fully? To where you can move with the absolute certainty and the goodness of God while also relinquishing control of the details. That means claiming his promise and allowing it to shape who we are, what we do, where we're going. And that's not the end point. That sounds like the end point. Oh, I I believe and I know God's promise and it's shaped my life. That sounds like the end point. That's not. That's the beginning. That's the beginning of what God is calling us to do. That's the beginning of what God wants for us. You see, these promises that I keep talking about, they're, they're found by reading the Bible. They're found by being in Scripture. And there's no promise that God has made to anyone that isn't congruent with what he's already said to us, with what he's already laid out. What's so beautiful about these promises is that they apply to us now. They're not just about our future. They're not just about where we're headed. Christianity is not just about what happens after I die. Christianity is not just waiting until heaven. There's more to Christianity than that. 
In fact, there's a famous quote by Greg Steer, and he says that God wants to save you from the hell that you're going to and the hell that you're going through. God wants to be here in the still small moments of your mind. He's not here just for the big moments. He's here for every moment. God wants to speak into our lives every single day. And the question is not, will he answer me? Will he speak to me? The question is, am I listening to him? Am I pursuing him? Am I reading the word hungry for an encounter with him? Because he wants you to experience him fully. That's why his word is here. When we read scripture, the Holy Spirit illuminates the mind and it quickens our heart to the Father. He brings us deeper. God answers us when we pursue him. He gives us guidance and counsel for our lives, for our families, for our ministries, our finances, our relationships, all of it. And there's only one place that we can lay a foundation that can hold all of these things at once. It's God and his word and nothing else. The second principle for us to have a wholehearted faith is this, that you need to believe in yourself. And this is not pop psychology. This is not a self-help sermon. This is biblical truth. We're going to be in Joshua 14 again, and we're going to read verses 10 through 12 in just a moment. But what I want you to see is that there's a direct correlation here between a person's private life and their personal faith. You see, when God speaks to us through his word or answers a specific prayer, that builds our faith. It makes it more personal for us. When we're willing to risk asking God for things that we know we can't do alone, it makes our faith personal. It makes, it makes our faith who we are, not just a piece of us. It's not just something in the corner that we don't talk about at work. It's all of who we are. It's all of who we can't stop talking about. Putting our faith in God also means that we're tied together with him. And so as our confidence in God goes, so goes our personal confidence. Verse 10 of Joshua 14 says this, Now, as you can see, sorry, this is Caleb speaking. He says, now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well, as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise, even while Israel wandered in the wilderness. Today, I am 85 years old. I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey, and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land, just as the Lord said. Firstly, I want to point out here that Caleb seems to be the Sylvester Stallone of the Bible. The older he gets, the larger he seems to be. The bigger his muscles seem to be. But Caleb believed in himself because of whose he was and who God's and, and, and whose power was, was resting in him because of what God's power was. Caleb believed in who God said he was, what his promise was. You see, let me say this. God doesn't bless who you pretend to be. God blesses who you really are, and he calls you holy and righteous because of what my son has done. He calls you blameless because of Jesus. Beloved, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. God puts value and worth on you that no other person or thing could ever do. Nothing else has the authority to say these things except God, and he has put you high above everything. He gave his son for you. He has put worth and value on you. And Caleb knew that he couldn't believe in himself because of his own talents or abilities. He believed in himself because of his foundation was the promise of God. And you see, where we get in trouble here is where our foundation is set. You see, we, 
many people say that we have to believe in ourselves, and that's fully true, but it's also a secular truth as well. Many people say this, but, but when, we, when we do this, we often associate that with our feelings and with our emotions, and we begin to place more trust in how we feel about life than what God is actually calling us to do. And I don't, I don't have a problem with emotions. In fact, they're an amazing thing. God gave us emotions for a purpose. It's to experience him deeper. That's what they're here for. Emotions are frail. They're not made to set the weight of life decisions on. They'll break. They're not made for that. That's not the purpose God gave them. So when we use them incorrectly, it ends poorly for us. Emotions are here to experience God deeper. Jesus told a parable about this in Matthew chapter 7. He talks about the wise builder who built his house on rock, and he talks about the foolish builder who built his house on sand. The storm came, the rivers rose, the wind blew. There was only one home left after the storm, and it was the wise man who built his house on stone. His foundation was in the right place. And if Caleb had based his faith on emotions and on how he felt, he would have given up long before his 40 years were over. Putting our foundation on emotions leaves us empty, but God doesn't leave us empty. He doesn't leave us without power or provision. That's why he's given us the Holy Spirit. When we accept salvation from Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit who empowers us to do things that we would have never thought that we had the strength to do, like wait, like have patience, or for Caleb, drive his enemies out of the land. Caleb's confidence could not be in his ability. It had to be in God's power. And the very first verse I read today out of Numbers 24, the Lord says, I will bring him into the land he explored. Not because of Caleb's skills or his talents. He says, because Caleb has remained loyal to me. That's why I will bless him. If you're with me, say I am. The third principle is this, that if we're going to have a wholehearted faith like Caleb, then we need to believe in the Lord. And it is as simple as that. Verses 12 through 14 of Joshua 14, they say this. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land just as the Lord said. So Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave Hebron to him as his portion of land. Hebron still belongs to the descendants of Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. That phrase, but if the Lord is with me, he knows that's the only thing that he needs. If the Lord is with me, I will fulfill this. I will take these people out of the land. Caleb's trust was in him, and it's obvious here. And, and this, you see this spot in the promised land, Hebron, he calls it uh, the, the hills, Okay, this area was one of the most fortified places in all the promised land. It was well built. It had defenses. And the Anakites that he's talking about here, these are the genetic ancestors of Goliath. Now, if you don't know the story of David and Goliath, Goliath was nine feet tall. He had to come from somewhere. These are the people that he comes from. These are his genetic ancestors. And so once again, Caleb's faith here is not, it's not based on sight or situation or emotions. It's based in the person of the Lord. And even though he had giant problems, literal giants in his land, big problems, he knew that God was bigger than these things. And it's the same for us. God is bigger than our problems, and that's not because our problems are small. We have mountains of debt 
and anxiety staring us in the face every day. Those are big problems. God's bigger. This doesn't speak to the smallness of our problems. This speaks to the largeness and complexity of our God. Caleb understood that also nothing was impossible with God. God can turn the heart of a husband back to the wife. He can turn the heart of a wife back to the husband. He brings the prodigal home. That's who he is. Our God can do anything. He can sell a house. He can fund a mission trip. I've laid hands on my little Honda car to make it back from Sanger, Texas to Pueblo, Colorado. And by the Lord, we did it. Okay, I know the panhandle seems God-forsaken. I know he's there because he brought me through it in that dang little car. (laughs) He wants to help with the little things. He wants to be a part of the small moments. He's not just here for salvation. He's here for more than that. The question of trust is not, does God want to help me? Because he does. He wants to be here for you. It's what if he doesn't? The question of trust is, are you prepared to believe that he still loves you, that he still holds you, that he still has the best plan in mind for you if things don't go according to your plan? That's the question of trust. Are you willing to believe that? Caleb understood that the Lord will be by our side in the big things and the little things. And when things go wrong, when they go completely backwards, because that's exactly what the Israelites did, they turned fully around backwards and walked backwards for 40 years. Caleb was fully obedient to God and still wound up in the desert for a lot more of his life than he would have preferred. And yet he still says, I serve the Lord wholeheartedly. He was fully committed. And that's why God gave him the desire to ask for this hill country, which seemed fully impossible to the Israelites 45 years before this. And so now let me ask today, do we trust God for something impossible? Are we willing to trust God for something that by all human standards will never happen? See, many of us, we figure out what God can do, and then we ask God to bless it. And the problem with that is that we get the glory out of it. We get the glory out of that. There's a quote from uh, Greg Steer who runs a ministry called Dare to Share, and he was talking on a podcast the other day about vision, about big vision, right? And so he specifically starts talking about trusting God. And he says that if we plan to do something that doesn't require God, it's just a project. It's just a Saturday morning list. Real vision and trust in the Lord is knowing that he may be calling us to something impossible, and we need to answer that call. See, when God does something that only he can do, he gets the glory. And let me tell you, Pueblo, Colorado is ready for something that only he can do. And I think we should prepare our hearts even now for the things that God is going to do in this city as a result of a ministry that he is running and as a result of a ministry that he is calling to bigger things. You are made for more. God has destined us for more. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. And maybe right now God has brought you to something that seems impossible right now, staring you in the face. Maybe that's a financial mountain, strains on a bad relationship. Maybe it's a, a rough diagnosis. 
But just like Pastor Charlie preached a few weeks ago, God is present in every setback in our lives and every crisis. He can prepare us in all things and for all things. He uses difficult situations to deepen us and to deepen our faith. So regardless of the weight on your shoulders, God is there. He is. And as for a wholehearted faith in this kind of a situation, we look at it like this. There's God's part and then there's our part. And Caleb shows us what our part is. It is following the Lord wholeheartedly, simply obedience. God's part is the details. And the way I like to think about this is when Peter walked on the water with Jesus. And so what happens in this story is that Peter and the disciples, they get in the boat and they go out on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus goes up on the mountain to pray and kind of watches as a storm rolls in and then decides to go down and help them out. It's been a couple hours at this point. So it's close to the morning and Jesus walks out on the water and the disciples, they see him from the boat and they, they become afraid. They call out to him because they think he's a ghost. And so Jesus says, no, it's me, it's Jesus. And then Peter calls back, if it's really you, Lord, call me out on the water with you. So Jesus says, well, I know who I am. I'm not lying. Come out of the boat. And so we all know the story. Peter steps out of the boat and becomes one of two people to ever walk on water. We also know the end of the story, don't we? He feels and he sees the power of the wind. And he drops like a rock. That's a joke because Peter's name means rock. And so Jesus walks over to him, picks him up out of the water, and says, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? And it's here that we see something monumental because we know now that, that Peter may have been walking on water, but what was holding his weight was the promise that Jesus was who he said he was. That's what held him up. And it was his distraction from that that made him drown, nearly drown. Jesus picks him up out of the water. They return back to the boat. They get back in the boat, and then Scripture says the wind ceases immediately. And at this point, we can, we can trust that Jesus had control of the wind the entire time. He didn't have to get back in the boat, focus himself, re-energize himself, and say, okay, wind, let's take this down. He had control the entire time, and even in this moment, he is preparing Peter for something bigger, something more. Because what's going to happen in Peter's life over the next few months and years is entirely more serious than waves and wind and water. God has something more for him, and he is preparing him in all things and for all things. And he is doing the same for us today. Caleb understood this truth. He understood that God was going to be there and take care of the details in the good times, the bad times, and the times when everything goes backwards. He knew that God's job was the details, and that means that he had to give up control of that. That means waiting 45 years. And so many of us, we want to believe the Lord, but we want him to move today, and so we take hold of the details. We take hold of the part that is not our own. We come f become fully focused on the situation, and we miss out on what God is doing or what he is saying to us as a result of it. But we know that taking a step back and submitting to God's will and his timing means that we may have to wait. We may have to be patient. Today, even now, we're all waiting on the Lord for something. We all are. We all have a prayer in our hearts that we're asking God for. And my prayer for each of us today is that we would continue to stay strong, to trust him and obey him wholeheartedly. And that's not easy, but it is worth it.
you'll bow your heads with me this morning.